Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. You know that song, actually, it talks about, you know, the uh, child, you know, uh, grows up and uh, uh, talking about a girl and uh, that she turns into a beautiful bride. And uh, it actually happened to me this past week. I did a wedding uh, for a lady, and uh, I've known her for uh, 20 years. And there's something so beautiful about that, just to watch a young, beautiful woman become, um, become married. And there was just something so beautiful about it. And, uh, you know, uh, it's funny how beauty strikes us in all sorts of different ways uh, this morning. It was funny. My, uh, my wife, she, she got dressed, and she comes to me, and she says, uh, How do I look? And I say... You look beautiful, honey. And then she says, right answer. And so that's always the right answer, right? And uh, that uh, she looks beautiful. And, uh, you know, I know uh, women are concerned about beauty, but us men, we find beauty in all sorts of places as well. Any uh, hockey fans here, Battle of Alberta? And, uh, you know, if you look at that, whatever you think of Connor McDavid, when he skates, it's like, wow, that, that's beautiful. Or, uh, or uh, you know, you see some of these Johnny Goudreau with his stick handling, you're like, that looks magical, so beautiful. We're attracted to beauty in all sorts of different ways. You know, you, you ever go to a concert and, uh, you know, there's a violin player that's probably practicing tens of thousands of hours, and you think, wow, that, there's just something beautiful about that. I'm, um, there's all these places that we see beauty. Uh, uh, last month, I went to, for holidays into Texas, and some really beautiful areas in Texas, and one of the places we went was Austin, where the home now of uh, Elon Musk and whatever, but we drove into an area that was absolutely stunning. There's like uh, cliffs that are like uh, two, three hundred meters high, just a beautiful lake, and all of that stuff. But you know what? When I got there, I couldn't get my eyes off of one thing. All the beautiful vehicles. I was like, holy cow, there's, like, it seemed like every third vehicle was a Tesla. I'm not a big car guy, but boy, I saw beauty. And uh, I saw this car here. And I was so happy. I took like 10 pictures on holidays. Five were of this vehicle. And uh, um, you can see the next one here from the back. And I'm, I'm still as happy as a clam looking at it. And we find beauty, and we are attracted to it, right? Wherever, wherever you find uh, beauty. And... Um, you know what? God has called us to be beautiful as well. It says in Ephesians 2.10, it says, you are God's workmanship. In other translations, it says, you are his masterpiece. Literally, you are his poem. Like, we are all works of art. So I want you to say this with me. I am beautiful. Can you say that? I am beautiful. And you guys are a beautiful looking crowd. I can see most of you now, so that is great, the faces. And, uh, but God isn't so concerned about our outsides, but He is concerned about our insides. And, uh, you know, this is actually what Peter talks about when he talks to the, um, uh, in First Peter, he's, he actually addresses a group, and he, he addresses a group of uh, Christian ladies. And you have to remember, during this time, there is, um, you know, uh, Christianity has just kind of ran, ran wildfire. And uh, a lot of the ladies come uh, to the Lord, but some of the men, as, they often, as we often do, kind of lag her on behind. And this is what he tells them. And he talks about, uh, about winning their non-Christian husbands over to the Lord. And uh, I quote from First uh, Peter 3. It says, Even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. 
Don't be concerned about the outer beauty of fancy clothes, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty, say beauty, beauty. that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. So the principle, you make yourself beautiful on the inside, and the outside will take care of itself. You know, it's applicable to men and to women. And uh, it says there are a couple things about beauty. First of all, that beauty doesn't fade. That when we have that inner beauty from God, it doesn't fade like our outer beauty. And uh, even think about it, a gentle spirit and an easy smile, it's always beautiful. Right? It's always beautiful. And uh, this is actually how it says, this is the beauty treatment that the beautiful woman of old, actually talking particularly about Sarah, Abraham's wife, about how, he, about how she made herself uh, beautiful. And, uh, you know, I really love it, actually, that Peter, of, of all people, Peter, that he talks about, oh, how valuable a gentle and quiet spirit is. Because of all the people in the world that you think are not gentle and quiet, it's the Apostle Peter. You know, he's all, in, through the, throughout the uh, Gospels, we always see him kind of saying kind of nutty stuff like your drunken brother-in-law at a Christmas party or something. And uh, he says things like this. He says, um, you know, during the transfiguration, and, uh, you know, there's these miraculous things happening. Elijah appears, Moses appears, and then right in the midst of it, Peter says, well, I, I'll build some tents for you. And then uh, the gospel writer actually adds, he did not know what he was saying. It's like he was being a dum-dum. And that's just what he was doing. He just didn't know what he was talking about. Another place after Jesus' arrest, so this is you know coming to the climax of the whole story. And what we see happening there is... Um, you know, a, a woman, or a, sorry, a young girl comes up to, uh, to Peter and says, um, uh, you were with the Galilean, weren't you? And, and Peter says, I did not know the man. And, you know, denies him three times. So what we see here is Peter is clearly not gentle, clearly not respectful. But guess what? At the end of his life, Peter becomes this man. He becomes beautiful on the inside. And it is clearly learned behavior for him. And so to me, it is actually a wonderful thing to see and gives us all hope that if we don't think we are beautiful, that God can make all of us beautiful. He made Peter beautiful. He can make us beautiful as well. Uh, Just a few verses later, um, Peter, he... uh, uh, he says this, and now he's kind of addressing a bigger audience, and he says this, and these are very, very famous words that uh, you likely know, and it says this. It says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you, but do this with gentleness and respect. So three things you see coming out of those verses is uh, you see... Uh, that it is first about a beautiful heart. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. That that's the first thing, that we give our heart to him. And then secondly, a beautiful mind. Always be prepared to give a reason, right? The, the reason for the hope that is in, within you. And then a beautiful feet, and I'll get more into that in a minute, because we might not think feet are always so beautiful. But uh, 
but that our beautiful feet is about the way that we go about things, that we always share this hope that we have. We do it with gentleness and respect. And so the first thing is about us developing a beautiful heart, that God wants to develop with us that. And we can do that all sorts of ways, you know, even, uh, you know, attending fellowship with other Christians or reading your Bible and praying and all those sorts of things. But it is basically about putting God at, on the throne of our life and that we always look to him. Uh, in Romans 12:1, it says this, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. This is your acceptable act of worship. In another translation, it talks about that's your day-by-day life that you give before God. And the problem with us giving a living sacrifice to God is that it keeps wanting to crawl off the altar. Like, that's, that's the fact of the matter, is that day-by-day, we have to keep doing it. And so when we do that, we need to always daily orientate our lives towards the Lord. You see in this uh, picture here, and so we have a J with a bunch of arrows. What do you think the J stands for in an evangelical Christian church? Jesus, right? Jesus, always a Sunday school answer. And just want to mention some of the arrows there. And so uh, we have uh, arrows pointed in all sorts of directions. And it's actually a picture of all of us, in a sense. Because all of us, even if we are close to the Lord, sometimes our orientation can be away from God. So take a, a pious penny there. So that's the orange one there. So even though she's relatively close to God that she's actually headed in the wrong, wrong direction. And you might say, well, how on earth could that happen? And actually, that's a picture of what the Pharisees were. They knew their Bible, they tithed, they um, gave to the poor and all this sort of thing, but it was always about me better than you type of attitude. So they're actually headed in the wrong direction. And then we got, uh, I'll call him Lost Leonard, the purple guy out there, kind of self-explanatory, further away and getting further still. But, and then we see... Uh, the yellow one, and I'll call her uh, Holy Haley, and uh, you know, close to Jesus, we'll probably know some people like that, and getting closer. But the one that I want to focus on a little bit more there is uh, Curious George, and uh, Curious George is the red one. And so even though he's kind of a long ways away from God, but he's orientated in the right direction. Do you see that? And that is actually what God calls from each of us on a day-by-day basis, is how can I get closer? Because the reality is, is none of us are actually so so close to Jesus. Uh, In a sense, um, we all, and uh, I told the early service this, so I'm going to tell you this too, you probably all sinned 10 times already today, right? In thought or in deed or in that, that type of thing. And that God wants us to be orientated towards him. And uh, we had a curious George uh, that was, even though he didn't know the Old Testament from the New, and even though he didn't know about prayer, but so interested in God. And uh, he actually uh, was uh, baptized uh, last night. And it was actually wonderful, wonderful to see. And, um, and that is what God calls from each of us. And he had a sense that he was valuable, that he knew that he was made in the image of God, that he was God's workmanship. But he also knew that he was profoundly broken, that he was a sinner. And uh, if you ever want to get into the sweet spot of really learning and growing, you need to know those two things. You need to know how valuable you are, that you are God's masterpiece. But at the very same time, you know how broken you are know how, what a sinners we are. Because if you know you are valuable, 
and you think you're perfect, why would you ever grow? But if you're broken and you're not worth anything, why would you bother to fix it? It is only when we are broken and we know our value that things really, really come together. And again, Peter, I think, is a great example of this. Actually, biblically, you see, you see it, how he knows about his value and then his brokenness as well. And it's two encounters in Matthew 16 that are actually super interesting to me. Um, you know, Jesus, he asks the disciples about uh, who he is. And uh, Peter, he gives the right answer. He says, you know, you are Lord and Savior. That's what he says. And, um, and then he goes on to tell Peter. And then Jesus tells Peter this. He says, um, you are Peter, and the gates, oh, sorry, you are Peter, and, um, and, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So he gives Peter this great mission, this great mission that on, the, on Peter, that God will build this, that, God, that Jesus will build the church, and tells him how valuable he is. But then just a few verses later, Jesus is now talking about that he's going to suffer, that he's going to uh, face death. And, uh, right? and uh, Peter tells him, and he actually rebukes Jesus. If you ever find yourself rebuking Jesus, you know you're in the wrong, right? So he rebukes Jesus and says, never, Lord. And then that's when Jesus actually says that to him so famously, get behind me, Satan, right? And that is... Interest, so interesting to me, the value that Jesus gives to Peter, but, and just a few moments later, rebuking him. And that's a great picture of uh, what Jesus does with us. Tells us how valuable we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. In a way, he's like a, a good wife is like that, you know, to, to us husbands out there. Your buddies, they'll leave you alone. They'll just kind of accept you for whatever kind of knucklehead you are. Your wives in general... They love you too much to do that. Love you too much to leave you the way that you are. And so that's the first time. <laughs> Sorry about that. I got some uh, comment from the peanut gallery over there. So, And so, so that's, um, that's the first thing about our heart is that a beautiful heart is a soft, malleable heart that knows that it is more valuable than anything. And the second thing is, is a beautiful mind. And that God wants us to develop a beautiful mind uh, within each of us. And that actually might ring a bell. Uh, the, that Because uh, it's actually the name of a movie. I believe it's about, it was released in about 2001 with uh, Russell Crowe. Love this movie. You see it there. It won uh, Best Picture. And it is a wonderful story. And it's a wonderful story of a fellow named John Nash. It's played by Russell Crowe. And he is... Um, He's a mathematician, brilliant, brilliant man, but he's also a schizophrenic. So he sees people that aren't there. So in this movie, and actually throughout the movie, these three people, even the little girl there, they torment him like crazy. They torment him. And so it's his struggle with his mind, and all these struggles are within his mind. But these people actually do not exist. They are only figments of his mind. And uh, the way the story ends is he basically, he still sees them in his mind, but they don't have any more power over him. And I thought that that's actually a great uh, metaphor for us when we think about the questions that we have, because I think we all have questions about Christianity, questions about that maybe cause us sometimes to struggle. And uh, they can be like splinters in our mind. 
and we need to really kind of wrestle with them. And one of the reasons we wrestle them with them is not only so that we can share the gospel better with people when they have questions for us, but even for ourselves, that we can believe that thing that Christianity is reasonable. So remember the verse says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. So uh, when I uh, first became a Christian, I, um, or sorry, uh, in the year uh, before I became a Christian, it was, uh, it was God was uh, doing all sorts of things uh, within me that uh, caused me to move in that direction. Uh, one of the things was is uh, my sister. She uh, became a born-again Christian, and I was living with her at the time. And to me, she was my kind of crazy born-again sister. And I told her, I said, you know, I can see Christianity works for you and your friends. It gives you a joy and a hope. But uh, what's going to work for me is uh, getting a job and making a lot of money. Uh, no amens out there. But anyway, uh, that, uh, that that's, who, that's what I thought was going to make me happy. And... Uh, my, uh, I was pretty resistant to Christianity at that time. And then my uh, sister, she, um, she told me, she actually told me this later. She said, she said that her and her friends would pray that my life would go into the toilet so I would know my need for Jesus. And I always call that, that's the sibling prayer, right? Make him be a Christian, but put his life into the toilet first. And, but God actually didn't answer that prayer by um, taking away my dreams, but by actually fulfilling them. I actually got a very good job uh, out of engineering, and uh, my company told me that I was going to start in Toronto or Vancouver. And then, I'm from northern Saskatchewan, and then during that time, my uh, sister gets a, a position in Ottawa with her church group, Campus Crusade for Christ. And then my company calls me back and says, what do you think if instead of going, starting in Toronto or Vancouver, you start in Ottawa? And the first thing I thought is, that's where my crazy born-again sister is. And uh, so I got to meet her and her friends. And uh, so it was the first time that my heart was opened to the Lord. But my mind was not there because I still had some questions. I could see that it kind of worked for them, but it wasn't, that was not, um, it working for them did not necessarily in my mind at that time mean that it was true. I had some real questions that I felt like that needed answers. And there were questions like this. Uh, Do you believe the Bible is true? Uh, Do you, um, what about evolution? What about, uh, you know, what about the Big Bang uh, theory? And um, I'm not talking about the, uh, the show either, you know, because I had some questions about origins and that sort of thing. And some of this stuff just didn't jive with, you know, what, what I had thought of for so many years. And so, anyway, um, I was uh, at a conference in, um, in Kingston, just a couple hours uh, south of Ottawa, and uh, my Christian uh, buddy, he needed a ride. As, I don't know why my Christian buddies always needed rides, but they did. And uh, so, uh, anyway, I drove him down to, uh, to Kingston. And on that car trip, we have the best uh, conversations in car trips, right? Long car trips. And uh, so I started asking him some of these questions. And... Uh, and what I found, and this is what I found just in general, is that there is good answers to your good questions. And so, so the first thing about uh, do you believe the Bible to be true, he talked to me about some of the, you know, the extra-biblical evidence uh, for Jesus. And, but he also said this. He said, well, you know what it comes down to for me is, uh, you know, that, um, that uh, the Bible was good enough for Jesus, so it's good enough for me. And uh, I was like, huh. Maybe if the Bible is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for Steve Hoffman. 
And that, that's honest to goodness what, what I thought. And, and so he took some of the uh, concerns that I had, and, uh, and he really answered them with gentleness and respect. And I didn't really um, um, uh, struggle with that one uh, so much, but uh, he really helped me to give an answer to that. And then, he, he, and then I had these questions about evolution. And, uh, and again, he gave me some just ways to think about things. So whatever you think about evolution and how much evolution there is actually out there, at the end of the day, evolution is about changing one living thing into another living thing. It doesn't talk about origins. So it doesn't explain where life comes from in the first place. And so when he said that, it, that again made a lot of sense to me. And, that, that, and, uh, and, then he, and then the third question I had about where the universe comes from is that uh, it really helped me as well. And uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, when we think that, you know, the 100 billion galaxies out there, that they all are kind of accelerating away from each other, that... If that is true, then at some point, they must have been in one point, in this infinitesimally small point. And, um, and, then, and then things exploded out from there 13.8 billion years ago. And uh, what he talked, I don't remember this part of the conversation as much, but what I've really came to understand uh, from that is that the uh, naturalist um, Explanation of it is very unsatisfying, actually. It's basically saying that everything, everything you see, everything in this room, the 100 billion galaxies, the sun, the stars, and everything, came from an infinitesimally small point that came from nothing. Uh, one, uh, one commentator on this said, it's actually much worse than magic, right? If you think about magic and, say, a magician pulling a bunny out of a hat, at least... In, the, uh, in magic, you have a hat to work with, and a bunny, and a magician. But in uh, you know, something coming out of nothing, you actually have nothing to work with. And out of nothing, nothing comes. God is the one, the eternal one, that has always existed. So he came from nowhere. But... If you are uh, more of a nerd, if you are, or if you are a Marvel fan, any Marvel fans out there? So where would you say the universe comes from? You would say it comes from the multiverse, right? Like this is a big thing. I have, uh, I've never seen this movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I am probably not going to see it. I'm, I'm okay with Marvel. I'm not going to talk about it because I'm sure I'll commit some terrible Marvel heresy that I'll get emails about. But, but the multiverse is actually now kind of in popular culture. And uh, the, part of the reason, and this is really curious to me actually, is part of the reason that they've came up with the multiverse is because, the, because of the fine-tuning that we see in the universe. There's like 28 constants out there, like uh, the mass of a proton, the mass of an electron, and even the ratio between the, ma- the proton and the electron. They had to be a very specific number or else life as we know it would be impossible. And uh, there is like 28 of them like that. One of them is about the entropy or the relative uh, disorder of things at the very beginning of the universe. And this particular number is so small, they say that if you took 
an arrow and you shot it from one side of the universe and you shot it 13.8 billion light years across the known universe to the other side, you'd have to hit a target that small in order that the chances of you hitting that target are the same chances of the entropy being the number that it was at the beginning of our universe that made life, po- made life possible. And you'd say, well, that seems impossible then. Well, how could that fine-tuning happen? And then that's just one of the 28 values. So this is where the multiverse comes in. So they say, well, obviously we are here, right? This is what a scientist would say. Obviously we are here. So it had to have happened. So maybe the universe is not just one universe. Maybe there's a multiverse. And when they talk about a multiverse, they talk like a gazillion, like 10 to the power 10 to the power 16, like some humongous number, like more particles there are in the universe. And um, even if that were true, and we don't, they don't know whether it's true or not, but they still don't say that that comes out of nothing. They still would say that there's this quantum foam or whatever. So still at the end of the day, you'd actually, it makes God bigger in a sense if you do believe in the multiverse. All that to say that there is a way to think about these things that still can actually overcome any doubts or any struggles that you have. That God is real and that he is large and in charge. And that's what I really found is that there is good answers to your good questions. But with those good answers, we don't, um, we don't argue other people into the kingdom of God. That's what Oswald Chambers said. He said, you will never argue anyone into the kingdom of God. And so what happened with my friend Brian is that he answered the questions that I have He did it with gentleness and respect. There was a personal element to it as well. Like he talked about why he personally believed, and he was a science guy. And it was fascinating to me to watch how he, um, and I found it compelling and beautiful that uh, how he how he believed. And so a couple hours, or sorry, a couple of days after I was in uh, Kingston at the sales convention, I. I uh, fell away for a couple of days, you know, drinking all that sort of thing. And, uh, and uh, then I met the Lord. And I uh, felt like the Lord said to me, do you, really, do, you want to meet, do you want to live your life the last couple of days? Or do you want to live life with those crazy Christian people? And I'm like, you know what? I want to follow the Lord. And it was actually a real uh, important moment uh, for me. And it changed the whole trajectory of my life. But it was all because somebody was prepared to share the good news of their life. And they did it with gentleness and respect. So that's uh, first a beautiful heart, then a beautiful mind. And last thing is a beautiful feet. So how could your feet ever become beautiful? And you'd think... You know, this is even a bigger problem in ancient Israel because they had open-toed sandals. It was hot. It was, uh, they were always dirty and everything. But they're, they have beautiful feet because they are messengers, right? And messengers go places with their feet. And so it's, um, it says in Romans 10, 15, it says, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And this is where we are to be gentle and respectful, as I mentioned with my friend Brian. And, um, you know, this age, uh, this generation, you know, it'll go away, go down in history for, I think, lots of different reasons. But I'm pretty sure this, we will not go down as a gentle and respectful time. Would you agree? And um, so I think the opportunity for us as Christians is actually more than ever because light always shines most in the dark. 
And, uh, you know, Jesus was very much this way. We see he was pretty hard on some religious people, but he was very um, gentle with, say, the woman at the well, or, at, or with the Nicodemus, or with um, the woman that is caught in adultery, that he was very, very gentle with them. Uh, just as I uh, wrap up this morning, I uh, just want to share a story, and it's from one of my uh, real heroes of the faith, and it's uh, Charles Colson, known as Chuck Colson. And he was actually in uh, President Nixon's inner circle. President Nixon, of course, presided over the United States in the late 60s and early 70s. He had to s- resign in disgrace because of the Watergate scandal. And so it was this, uh, you know, tumultuous time. And none more tumultuous for Charles Colson, who was a good friend, a close advisor of Nixon's. And it was during this time that um, Charles Colson actually got very, um, uh, he, ha- he had some Christian people around him. And, uh, but he was destroyed as a human being. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. So he was the guy that did all the heavy lifting, the hard work, the, uh, the, um, the, all the kind of terrible things that were done. He was part of it. And what's the intriguing part of the story for me is uh, that he becomes a Christian, and then right afterwards, um, he actually, he's on trial because of some things happening in this time. And uh, his lawyer tells him, you know, don't share the whole story. Just share this particular part. You don't have to lie, but, you know, don't tell the whole truth either. And uh, Charles Colson said, you know what? My, my faith is so important to me. I am not, I, I not going to lie right out of the gate, and especially publicly. So uh, when he tells the, his lawyer that, his lawyer tells him this, and it's so funny to me. He says, you are an idiot, and you are going to go to jail. And uh, then it goes on, he, in the court of law, he shares the truth, and, um, and he actually does end up in jail. So you'd say, well, that didn't turn out very well for Charles Colson, did it? But it actually does, because through there, he uh, gets involved with prison ministry, he uh, leads people to the Lord, prisoners to the Lord, and we actually have a prison fellowship that we actually have thousands of across, you know, across the world that was birthed from this moment. And we actually have chapters in Headingley and in Stony Mountain because of this. And it is actually a great, great story of how um, God got a hold of somebody and changed the world. But it's actually not the story of Charles Colson that I want to share. It's the story of a Christian businessman, Tom Phillips, who led Charles Colson to the Lord. Uh, Charles, um, sorry, Tom Phillips was known as a quiet, gentle, but extremely successful businessman with him. And he shared, um, he was a friend of Charles Colson through this whole time. And so when things got really bad for Charles Colson, he actually befriends him, and he actually comes closer to him, and he invites him over to his house. And, um, and Charles Colson is a very kind of proud man at this time, but so broken. He comes to his place, and they, they, they tell the story of him sitting out on their deck and everything, and about how he, in Tom Phillips' very gentle way, uh, shares about how God had met him at a Billy Graham crusade, and that the reason that he has a peace about him, and the reason why he has that in him, he tells Charles Colson, is because of Jesus. And, uh, and Charles Colson immediately kind of dismisses it and whatever, but uh, 
Tom, what he does during that time too, is he actually quotes from uh, C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis, of course, he's known for his Christian literature, but he has a lot of non-Christian literature as well. And so he quotes something to um, to Charles Colson that actually has a profound impact on him because he shares about pride. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicts Charles Colson that uh, you know that um, about his pridefulness. And uh, this part I love. Charles Colson, you know, he's a real man, so he doesn't want to show weakness in front of another man. Amen, right? That's good stuff, right? And he, so what he does is he kind of abruptly leaves, uh, leaves uh, Tom's place, and in the driveway, he, uh, he, this happens. And I'm just going to read straight from the book. This is from uh, his autobiography of Born Again. He says, outside in the darkness, the iron grip I'd kept on my emotion began to relax. Tears welled up in my eyes as I groped in the darkness for the right key to start my car. Angrily, I brushed them away and started the engine. What kind of weakness, I said, is this? I said to nobody. As I drove out of Tom's driveway, the tears were flowing uncontrollably. I pulled to the side of the road more than 100 yards from the entrance to Tom's driveway. And then I prayed my first real prayer. God, I don't know how to find you, but I'm going to try. I'm not much the way I am now, but somehow I want to give myself to you. I didn't know how to say more, so I repeated over and over the words, take me, take me, take me. You know, Tom, the businessman, he was not an evangelist. He uh, joked later with Charles Colson. He said, said, um, you're the only person that I've ever led to the Lord. But what a difference it made that not only to Charles Colson, but to his children and to his children's children, and not only to them, but to the prisoners, to the uh, thousands, if not millions of uh, prisoners that came to the Lord through uh, the prison ministry that he started at that time. And the same thing can happen for us when we are prepared to give a reason for the whole that is within us, to those that are around us, that it can make a difference to that person, but to those people in their sphere, to their family, to their friends. And you have no idea when we take the time to let God make us beautiful on the inside, when we are prepared to give a reason for the hope we have, and when we do that with gentleness and respect, what the Lord can do. Church, you are beautiful, and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You stand with me. And just want to uh, take this moment and uh, let you have the opportunity to re- receive Jesus into your life. So if you've never started on that journey with Jesus, and you haven't let him to really create a beauty within you, would you like to start that journey today? If you'd like to start that journey with Jesus today, just slip up your hand. There's nobody looking around. No, Everybody has their head bowed. Just put up your hand. I see a hand. Yes, thank you. Good. So glad you did that. We will uh, all pray together and uh, pray Um, So join with me as I uh, lead us in uh, prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm tired of living my life my own way. Doing my own thing. Today it changes. I want to be a follower. A disciple of Jesus. 
I want to live my life for you. I recognize your beauty. Make me beautiful like you. I commit to following you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.